Welcome to We Need to Talk About Tech, where we talk about the past, present, and future of technology. On this episode of the podcast, we talk about the brand new Rivian R1T trucks. We talk about Surface Duo 2 reviews going live. And we talk about the brand new MacBooks with the M1 Pro and M1 Max chips. All right. So on previous podcasts, we talk about we talked about this vehicle a little bit, and it's a brand new pickup truck from a brand new electric company called Rivian. And this is the R1T. It is their debut vehicle that is just starting to roll out to people. Uh, we're starting to see some reviews on the truck from from some outlets, and it's essentially a fully electric truck pickup truck with uh, a shorter bed and you know four doors it's like the the super crew um, where you have four doors and stuff like that but it has a lot of interesting features so this is actually a company created by former tesla employees and you can kind of see a lot of similarities between this rivian truck and some tesla models that we've seen in the past though this particular truck is quite different from the cybertruck it's much more traditional and it's a smaller vehicle overall but you know they kind of focused uh, a lot of stuff uh, a lot of the engineering around this truck regarding off-roading and you know camping and stuff like that so you know it's it's got this package on the truck where you can get a full kitchen uh, that can that can come out of the truck you can you know get a, a cover to cover all of your storage and in the front, you even have a front trunk similar to what we saw with the F-150 Lightning. So it's kind of taking all of these aspects from all of these different vehicles that are, are that are starting to come out with this, you know, the idea of electric pickup trucks starting to become a thing. And it seems like to be to be creating a, a nice middle ground uh, between the really extravagant and crazy uh, kind of look of the Cybertruck and the more conservative approach of the of the Ford F-150 Lightning. And it looks like it might beat both of them to the market um, if what we're seeing is is actually true and, and you know customers are gonna start receiving these in hands. So just to go over uh, a couple of things with this truck, like I mentioned, it's a little bit smaller. So it's smaller than the Cybertruck and the F-150 Lightning. It has a shorter, about four foot bed. Um, and the interior, uh, Rivian really wanted to focus on the interior with this truck and make it a lot more premium than when you, what you would expect from a typical Tesla. So you have touches like, like um, you know, wood and really nice soft, soft materials that are really well put together. Um, so it, it's supposed to be much more upscale than, you know, what you might see on the Cybertruck. But one thing you will see that's a little bit uh, similar is that they focus a lot of the interior around these massive screens, similar to what you would see in a Tesla. So above or right behind the steering wheel, you're going to have your typical gauge cluster. And then in the center, you're going to have a typical infotainment screen. And in that infotainment screen, pretty much it's it's very, very similar to what you you would see in a Tesla. There are uh, There's no Android Auto or Apple CarPlay, just like a Tesla. And all of the vehicle's functions from you know, moving your steering wheel to moving your mirrors is all done through this touchscreen. Um, so you can tell there's definitely a lot of inspiration there. Uh, but overall, I think the really impressive thing is a lot of the first impressions of this vehicle are very, very, very positive. 
and, and people seem to be really high on this, uh, especially with the absence of, of, like I mentioned so many times, the Cybertruck. So I'm, I'm kind of curious, have you seen any of this Rivian uh, truck? And, and what do you think of it, uh, if you have? I've seen quite a few, uh, few reviews, a few videos and write-ups of the Rivian truck, and I like it. I like it a lot. I like how it looks. I mean, it's it's kind of hard not to compare it to the Tesla Cybertruck because that is kind of, you know, when you think of an electric truck, when you mention an electric truck to people, that's kind of the first thing that comes to mind. But it's still not here, right? And you when you compare how it looks to a Tesla Cybertruck, we've mentioned before, the Cybertruck is very, a lot of jagged, sharp lines. You know, it's very dystopian looking. This Rivian R1T, it's, I saw a tweet and it was, it's a truck that both looks like it's from 50 years in the past and 50 years in the future at the same time, right? Like it's a very smooth looking truck, especially when you compare it to the Cybertruck. But then it has features like, you know, uh, an LED bar across the front of it for a headlight and an LED bar across the back of it for a taillight. You know, it has, you were mentioning the bed of the trunk, you know, the, the flat bed. It has an air compressor built into the truck that is powered by the battery that can reach all four tires. So if you have a flat tire or you have a low tire, you can use this electric car to fill up your own tire. You know, it has, there's so many features that it has. You mentioned the kitchen that you have or the kitchen that you can get for it, right? It has a storage tunnel is what they're calling it, which kind of sits in between the bed of the truck and the back passenger seat. And it's a tunnel that goes all the way across from one side of the truck to the other. You can also buy a kitchenette which has an inductive stove powered by the car's battery, a four-gallon water tank, and a sink built into it. There's a lot of features of this truck that, that really speak to, to what Rivian built this for. And I don't know if you've mentioned it, but they, they claim this is an adventure vehicle. It's an adventure truck. They've built this for people, well, you know, to go camping with, obviously, if you have a kitchen built into it but also to do a lot of off-roading, a lot of, you know, driving around in the wilderness. One, one thing that, and I think we mentioned this with the F-150 Lightning, that, you know, electric pickup trucks, one benefit that they have over a regular pickup truck is because it is electric, there's no axle, there's no differential running across the bottom. So you can do a lot more off-roading. You can do a lot more driving on rugged terrain and not have to worry about any of your, your mechanical components getting caught on rocks underneath as you're passing over, you know, big rocks or big boulders, which is something that electric vehicles just inherently have a benefit of. Um, you know, we talk about some of the specs for this. It has, the base model has a 135 kilowatt hour battery pack which has an estimated range of 314 miles, which is you know, a, a decent amount of range. There's also a 180 kilowatt hour battery pack in the works, which could have a range of more than 400 miles. It has 835 horsepower. It goes from zero to 60 miles per hour in 3.0 seconds. Now these are stats that even for a regular car are all great. 
right? It's a fast truck. It has good range. It has good pickup speed. But not to mention that it's an electric vehicle and it has all those inherent benefits of electric vehicles. You know, I think this is something that it's something that I'm definitely excited for. And especially when you think of, okay, how long have we been waiting for the Cybertruck? How long are we going to have to wait for the Hummer EV? How long are we going to have to wait for the F-150 Lightning to start shipping? It's nice to see that, a, a, you know, sort of startup company can, can come and almost sneak into the market while we're still waiting for these big players to get their products up. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought up some of the stats there because that is, that is key, right? Like this... This is kind of like the perfect sweet spot, I think, for a lot of people who want that adventure type vehicle. Um, we saw Hyundai kind of do something like this with their Santa Cruz, I think it is. Um, they're, they're kind of, it's gas powered, but they're, they're, you know, vehicle, it's almost like a car, but it has a, a bed at the back. Um, now, th this Rivian truck is a little bit bigger and obviously it's, it's electric powered. But, you know, with that, it comes the idea of, well, how much is this thing going to cost? And right now it is a little bit more expensive than what you might expect from the base prices of the F-150 Lightning or the, the Cybertruck, which have claimed they want to start at around $40,000 US, uh, USD. And it seems like the, the Rivian R1T is going to start uh, more than that. I'm seeing here a starting price of 67500 I don't know if that's um, the American price. Uh, so that's something I'm still, I'm still looking into to find. But if that is the case, you know, it's quite a bit more expensive than the base model of those vehicles. And those vehicles are much more full-size pickup trucks. So I feel like this vehicle might be in a different market where it's, it's mainly, mainly not for people who need a pickup truck for work, but generally someone who wants a truck for, you know, leisure. And, you know, I think that that could be a really great sweet spot. And the reason why I think they decided to go this way is because the cool thing about the, the this Rivian truck is there's another version called the R1S, which is practically the same vehicle, but instead of being a pickup, it's a it's a it's a SUV, a mid-size SUV. So, you know, this allows them to be a little bit more flexible with what they can offer by making a smaller pickup truck that's more centered around being this adventure vehicle like you mentioned and they can offer a pickup version and they can offer a full suv version as well um, without having to do much work and i, I think that's a, a really cool idea and i'm kind of curious to see how successful they can they can make this especially with you know the the great reception they're receiving so far yeah and it will definitely be cool to see which of their two models Kind of does better because you know we've heard of this r1t first but it could be okay this is the thing that's going to get more hype you know it's a pickup truck electric pickup pickup trucks are kind of you know what's popular right now especially when you talk about this adventure vehicle right but it could be in actuality that yes it is more buzzworthy because you know of the vehicles we mentioned earlier but maybe they're maybe their SUV sells better than their pickup truck. Mm. And, you know, the pickup truck is kind of just the flag flagship to say, okay, this is our aspirational goal. But when it, when it comes to actually moving units, when it comes to what the everyday person wants to buy, 
maybe it's the R1S, maybe it's the SUV. And I could definitely see that as being, I, I mean, personally, I could see that selling better. Um, but maybe that's just what I would be more interested in. Now, if it were up to you, if you had to get, let's say, a Rivian, are you getting the R1T or are you getting the R1S? Which one kind of piques your interest more? Uh, for me, it's it's kind of the R1S. Uh, it's funny because when I first saw the Rivian, I believe it was in a YouTube video, probably close to five years ago. Um, YouTubers were starting to talk about it because it was an upstart at the time. And everyone was was talking about these new upstarts like uh, Lucid Air and all these electric car manufacturers. Neo and- yeah, Neo and, and, and Xpeng and all these guys. Um, but this one was one of those ones where it seemed like it probably wouldn't come true. And I remember seeing the design of the truck back then. I'm like, mm, I don't know if I really like it. It's different, but also very similar. And it, it's mostly the front uh, of where that light bar hits, hits the front lights. It kind of like, mm, I don't know how I feel about it. But for some reason on the R1S version, the, the SUV, I feel like it just looks a little bit better, a little bit more cohesive. And I don't know why that is. Maybe that's just something, like you said, uh, with my brain that maybe I just like SUVs more than pickup trucks. I don't know if that's necessarily true, but um, I do really like the version of, of the SUV, the way it looks better. I don't know what it is that they did different, but to my eyes, it just looks cooler. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how about you? Which one do you prefer out of the two? I would say I definitely prefer the SUV more, but but I mean, that's just, you know, I'm not the the camping type. I'm not the, you know, going out in adventuring type. I'm not off-roading over rocks and boulders and driving through four feet of water. You know, I'm just a commuter. I go on the occasional road trip here or there. If I was someone that, you know, wanted to do any sort of camping, 100%, it would be the, the pickup truck. Mm-hmm. Even when you, when you think of things like that little, that kitchenette that we were talking about, right? Just even if you don't want to use it for a portable kitchen, even just for storage, that storage tunnel is a huge benefit, Right. Just the bed in the back is a huge benefit. There's so many things, little things like that, that the pickup truck offer over the SUV that if you're someone who is inclined to go camping or off-roading or is more adventurous, the truck makes more sense. But I'm a, I guess I'm a city boy. I, you know, I'm a city slicker. I don't go out, out into the country very much. So I guess maybe that's why. I'm more uh, partial to the R1S. But a couple a couple extra things I just want to mention. Mm-hmm. Little, you know, touches. So the Rivian has 7,776 battery cells. The designer wanted it to be, you know, a nice 7777. So they put one extra battery cell into a flashlight in the driver's side door. So there could be 7,777 battery cells in the car another cool thing uh which i'm sure you've seen in like in different videos and reviews the charging port door for the r1t's and i mean i can't say i've seen every charging port door for an electric vehicle but this is by far the coolest one i've ever seen Mm -hmm. it's sort of like hidden on top of the driver's side 
wheel well. You push a button and a panel pops up and like folds out to the side, almost like a, a transformer, right? Two touches where, yes, anyone could do them, but I haven't seen anyone else do them. And it's, you know, you mentioned how this is more premium vehicle in just in terms of, you know, what they've done with the insides, you know, the attention to detail that they've paid to the insides. And it's it's very funny or it's very interesting that this was founded by former Tesla employees where one of the big harps on Tesla is, you know, even though they're obviously amazing vehicles to drive, they're obviously fast, they're, they're quick, they're fun to drive, but there's always been this, this issue of they don't have the best build quality, mm-hmm. especially when you think of how expensive some of these Teslas can be. They don't have the best interior and they don't have the best build quality. And to see that Rivian seems to be making the interior, making the build quality almost like a focus of their brand, I think that's very that's pretty telling and pretty cool to see. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. All right. Our next topic of the day is the Surface Duo 2 and reviews finally going public. You know, I think we we talked a bit before, we talked quite a bit before about the lease for the Surface Duo 2 and how we felt about the lease and you know our apprehensiveness as to whether we would like this phone or not and if this actually turned out to be the design and then the design came out and it was kind of you know it still looks good and there's still there's still some things that we liked about it but it I think we were both kind of holding judgment until actual reviews came out, until people actually got their hands on them and got to use them, and then we could kind of see what they were saying about it. And, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like the general consensus is, yes, there are improvements. The Surface Duo 2 has made improvements compared to the Surface Duo 1. But a lot of these improvements have actually kind of created new problems for the Surface Duo. And in some parts, haven't even fixed all of the problems that were there in the first place. And, you know, if you haven't seen any of these reviews, if you're someone who's listening who hasn't seen the new Surface Duo 2, so the original Surface Duo was pretty much a flat passport-style phone. So it would be closed, it would fold open, and you had two screens side by side. You could fold them all the way back together, you know, flat, one back on another back, and have two screens kind of facing outwards. And it was everyone was amazed on the hardware, on the hinge, on the design of it, and how it could still be so thin, and amazed that you could fold this thing on itself, and it was still such a thin design. But one of the big complaints was, well, the cameras on this suck. Like... Yes, this is supposed to be a more productivity-focused device, but we still want to be able to take pictures on it. So one way Microsoft Surface looked to address that issue was, okay, we're going to put a dedicated camera system on the outside of it because the previous version didn't. We're going to put a camera bump, has three dedicated lenses, so now you can take better pictures with this. But that created another problem where one of the key features of the original Surface Duo 
was that it could fold flat on itself. But now you have this camera bump in the way. They, you know, they have a work, they had a workaround they came up with. The camera bump was slightly slanted so that when it did fold around, it would nicely, uh, it would be flush in a way with the other side of the device. But now instead of being a completely flat device, you almost have like a cheese wedge device when you have it all the way open, which, okay, yes, you have cameras, which people asked for, but now that thinness, that, you know, selling feature of the device is now gone and you've almost made it harder to operate with one hand. I mean, that's just one kind of critique, but I, did you get the same idea from, from videos that you've seen, from reviews that you've seen or read? How did you see people receive this Surface Duo 2? Yeah, so I'm at, I'm like on two minds of this because I have, I do really love the idea of the Surface Duo. And because of that, I have watched and read a lot of reviews on the product. And there are a lot of reviewers who are thinking of this device as a phone and are comparing it to a daily phone that they might carry. And a lot of the impressions of it are not good. They're actually pretty bad, um, especially considering the fact that there are some benefits or some some improvements made over the last version. I have a feeling that a lot of the the reviewers who are comparing it to a phone are just as down on it as they were of last year's device. Um, which honestly doesn't surprise me because it's not a great phone. Like even if you just look at it, um, I haven't touched it at all or, or or played around with either versions, but just looking at it, you can tell this isn't going to be a comfortable phone to use. And I think that's that's kind of the the reception that that I'm getting from a lot of those reviewers. But then on the other side, there are some reviewers who are seeing it as a little bit more than just a phone, more of a productivity device. And I'm seeing more positive reviews uh, on that sense of like, you know what, this is actually doing some some really good things. Like the cameras are better. And you know, it's funny when cameras on an iPad get better, we don't really compare it to an iPhone. Um, because we know a tablet is at, is at a different class and we have different expectations. And I feel like there are some reviewers who are carrying the same kind of uh, mindset to the way they look at the Surface Duo. And instead of comparing it to something like uh, a brand new iPhone or a brand new Pixel phone, they're comparing it to, you know, just a device, a productivity device that just happens to have a camera on it. And the reason why I'm like at, at two minds with this is because all that is great, but at the end of the day, the big problem with this device, and it's the problem with every Surface device that Microsoft releases, <laughs> is the price is just ridiculous. The price is it's nowhere near where it should be. And quite frankly, the problems with last year's device, you know, people were complaining about the cameras or the software being buggy or the, um, or the, the chip not being powerful enough to handle the tasks that it needed. There were two things that they could have done to fix those. And one of them was obviously get a less buggy experience, which can be done with software updates and stuff like that. But two, it could have been done with finding a better way of making this product more affordable. And I don't think adding cameras to the back are, is really helping anybody. 
because people who want to compare it to a phone, those cameras aren't good enough for it to be their phone. And people who want it as a productivity device don't care about having cameras on the back. So for me, I think what Microsoft should have done is one, this should have been a Windows device. It shouldn't have been Android. Um, you know, the way they originally foresaw this, these, these devices with the Surface Neo and the Surface Duo was it was going to run, run Windows 10 S, the mobile version of Windows 10 before, you know, Windows 11 became their, their focal point. And I really think that this would have been a better product if it wasn't running Android. I think Android is one of the biggest problems with it when it comes to software. It's just not designed to be that flexible as a dual screen kind of operating system. And really the Surface is the only real dual screen kind of device out there that's that's this, you know, that isn't some kind of hacked together kind of idea or a very low volume product. So I really think Windows would have been the key. And two, it would have been about how do we get this device as a productivity device and not as like a flagship phone to the best kind of price to performance ratio that we can get, which is something I think Google did really well of what we were talking about with the Pixel um, on the last podcast and how well they kind of balanced that out. And people are loving it. We're, we're seeing some reviews coming out and they're really positive so far. And I feel like if Microsoft took that approach, it could be a lot better. That being said, I'm still a really big fan of this device. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of of reviews out there that are not really happy with, with how it turned out. When I see this thing operating, um, and I, I see this thing on, on like YouTube or, you know, even outside of Microsoft's promotional videos, when I just see it working, to me, it's exactly the the device that I would want. Um, besides the fact that it doesn't have a headphone jack, which, you know, I'll complain about that with every device that doesn't come with a <laughs> headphone jack. I want one in it. But other than that, I really think this thing is cool. It has the magnets to uh, have the pen latch onto it now, full uh, updated pen support. And I'm just a really big fan of it. I can't wait. And I really hope that they can continue this line and maybe do a Windows version sometime in the future. That's hopefully in the $800 price range, or maybe even a bit cheaper. Um, not necessarily a flagship device, but just like a companion device that you can carry around instead of a tablet. But also the last version, because it was so poorly received and no one bought it, had super, super, super sales uh, a few months after it came out. Judging from the reception of this one, I wouldn't be surprised if the same thing happens with this device. And if it does, I might have to pick one up because... Uh, I'm just a big fan of the idea, but, but, you know, obviously that's from someone who really likes windows tablets and, and has used them in the past and, you know, knows what Microsoft is trying to do when it comes to productivity first and entertainment second, um, which I think this device is really, really cool with, but you know, I, I, I could be far off on this. I'm curious. What do you think? How do you feel about a lot of the, the impressions of this device? And do you think Microsoft should just end the the duo line like a lot of people are kind of suggesting they should i don't think they should end it because i also i like this phone a lot i like the idea of this phone i guess i should say when we first saw the lease of it i you know i didn't like it i didn't like the camera bump that they added to the back i really liked the old phone and how it was or I guess let's say the old device, right? Because we're saying it's it's not a phone, it's a productivity device. 
I really liked the old device in the fact that it was just a closed device, no notifications, there was no nothing extra on the outside. When it was when you were done with it, you close it, you put it away, you didn't need to touch, you didn't need to think about it at all. And then when you wanted to be productive, you would take the device, open it up. And I liked how you could fold it all the way around on itself. This camera bump kind of defeats one of the one of the key features that I liked about the, this device, how slim it was, whether it, when it was closed one way, when it was folded flat, or whether when it was closed the opposite direction. I think they're trying to almost please too many people at once. You know, you kind of brought up mm-hmm. a good point. It's people are either comparing it to a phone in which case it's not a phone. And then they're in turn making it less or worse as a productivity device, which is what it was originally supposed to be. One kind of complaint that I've heard about this also is that, okay, now the camera bump, the main camera is on the outside. Okay, great. If you need to take a picture though, how you would do it before, you would open up the screens and fold them kind of all the way around. So you would have a screen on one side with the camera and a screen on the other side as a viewfinder. So you could take a picture that way. Now you can't open it all the way. It's, it's kind of hard to explain. <laughs> if you haven't seen the, the device, it's kind of hard to imagine it. Um, but you can't fold it all the way on itself. Imagine folding a book backwards on itself. You can't do that because then it would block the cameras, it'd block the camera bump on the back. So you have to essentially hold this book open in order to use the primary cameras, which they, you know, updated and assuming they put, you know, R&D money into. And part of the reason why the phone is so expensive is because of these cameras on the back. I personally think it would have been a better idea if instead of putting cameras on the back, you leave no cameras on the back like you did the last one, but you just update the camera that you have inside. Because then one, you can still fold the book backwards on itself and have a slim device to take pictures with. And you also improve the webcam features of this device too, right? Because yes, you may have upgraded the back cameras, but then people are still complaining that the web camera sucks on it. If you're going to yeah. be using it for, you know, some, let's say Microsoft Teams or Zoom or some sort of video conferencing. I like that they added the slight curve to the, in, to the middle of the, the displays. Um, I like that slight curve that they've added. And I like the fact that, okay, when it's closed, you can get some sort of notifications, but not too much. It's just, you know, if you get a a text, it will light up. If you get a call, it will light up. That's okay. I'm okay with that. But I still think they would be better off if they kind of went back to the original Surface Duo 1 form factor with nothing on the back. You know, it's just a plain device on the outside. But when you want to be productive, you can open it up and be productive. Mm-hmm. I think if I could, you know, if Mike, anyone at Microsoft Surface Duo 3 team is listening right now, take the camera bump off the back, take the main camera from that, put it on the inside of your device, I think it would be infinitely better. And also probably put Windows on it. Because even though, you know, one of the big complaints was, how buggy the original one was and oh it's because it doesn't have a recent system on a chip well they put the snapdragon 888 in it newest chip that snapdragon has to offer and it's still a buggy experience 
So maybe you're maybe you're right. You know, maybe this should be running some version of Windows 10, or maybe th some new version of Windows 11, right? Maybe Windows 11 S. So they can stop worrying about this buggy experience and just make this a strictly productivity focused device. Yeah, yeah, I, I would love that. Honestly, <laughs> that would be great. Would be great. Microsoft hire us. Yeah, please. <laughs> Or just send me one. Yeah. So I could talk about it on every single podcast because <laughs> I really do like the thing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. On to our final topic of the day. In our last podcast, we talked about all the events that happened, including the Apple Unleashed event, where they showed off their new updated MacBook Pros with the M1 Pro chip and the M1 Max chip. Well, now reviews have come out. You know, people have gotten their hands on them. They've done their unboxings. They've done some preliminary testing on them. And pretty much what we expected was the case. You know, what we thought would happen, happened. People say, these are amazing devices. These are so fast. All the charts that Apple put up, all the arbitrary charts that they put up, they'd all make sense. This is way better than the M1 that I bought last year that I said was the best device ever. No, this is the new best device ever. But they are expensive. And kind of the one thing that I've gotten from almost every reviewer that I've, that I've seen or I've read is, yeah, this is a great product. Whether it's an M1 Pro or an M1 Max chip, whether it's a 14-inch or 16-inch laptop, these are great products. And yes, they are an improvement, but they are very expensive. They are not cheap. And if you don't need to update, definitely don't update. It's, you know, it's too expensive to just pick up as a fun purchase on a whim. Like yeah. there's, there's a lot, lot of money going into this. And if you are someone that absolutely needs this update to your workflow or this upgrade to your workflow, then, you know, Hey, spend the money. But otherwise this isn't, this isn't like a new MacBook air coming out where, you know, it's a maybe under a thousand dollars and it's, you know, you know, my old laptop's getting kind of old. Let me pick up this new MacBook air and, you know, then I could, you know, do some school notes on it, or maybe I could do a little bit of light video editing or photo editing. This is not that. This is an expensive device. These are good devices, but they are very expensive devices. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And, and like you said, like that was kind of what was expected after, you know, we saw the, the event. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of glad that, you know, the reality is, hey, these things aren't magical. They're computers and, you know, they're, they're going to compute stuff. But I think what you mentioned with the price is so important, specifically with M1, more than it has been in the past with MacBook Pros, because for certain people, this workflow with this new machine is going to be worth it. Spending all this money is really going to be worth it. But if you're someone who, you know, maybe you, you do most of your work in the Adobe suite, Creative Cloud, apps that aren't optimized for M1 yet, um, and Apple Silicon you're probably not going to get your money's worth out of this machine. Mm -hmm. 
And that's kind of like the the interesting thing about this situation, which uh, I'm uh, like right now, these are very preliminary kind of impressions of these machines. And these impressions are going to evolve in two ways. In one way, it's going to evolve the way every kind of Apple product evolves, where, you know, the initial product, uh, the initial impressions are really hot and they tend to cool down over time when reality starts to kick in. But also on the other side of that, there's going to be the reality of we don't know exactly how much we can do with these processors yet because of two reasons. One, this is a brand new product from Apple with, you know, Apple Silicon is still really young. It's, it's like a year old at this point, maybe a little bit more than that. But it's not matured to the extent of a fully professional device with really, you know, top tier specs and really expensive price tag. We're not at the point where we can justify that across the board of, you know, if you want to build a, an Intel based um, desktop or, you know, like you can do all these things to make it adhere to your kind of professional workflow. You can change things like RAM and storage and and processor and you can have and, you know, even add in cards with things like PCI Express which is why the Mac Pro exists um, still with Intel. It doesn't have M1 yet. But, you know, we're not at the point where we can say the same thing for the M1 Pro and the M1 Max. And I think one of the the biggest kind of downsides sides to this kind of architecture is you have to build it from the beginning the way you need it. There is no way this computer can ever grow or adapt to you as the time goes on because nothing is replaceable on it. Nothing is upgradable. You can't say, oh, I'm going to get uh, 16 gigabytes of RAM now and get another 16 gigabytes later because that's not possible. You can't say, oh, I'm going to get a lower storage amount now and, and a higher storage amount later because you can't upgrade that on the inside. And, you know, we've talked so much about framework and and even like the Fairphone and stuff like that. And you know, we're really excited about this modular future. But, you know, I, I understand why Apple doesn't support that right now. Like half of it is because obviously they want to sell you uh, an expensive device. But also the other half of it is like this is a very all Apple integrated machine. You know, it's not easy to make it as flexible as something like the Mac Pro is right now. And you know, I, I think that's that's why we kind of have to take these initial impressions with a grain of salt because this can very easily get better if we start seeing more apps kind of take advantage of these this up to 32 core GPU um, with Apple's, you know, vague graphs. Um, <laughs> eventually, maybe there are some apps like Adobe Premiere that can take advantage of that or, you know, even new apps that come out that are made specifically for M1 that don't even exist yet. Kind of like what we saw with the whole um, iPad revolution when it came to drawing when Procreate came out and how much that changed the whole kind of ecosystem around drawing on tablets. Um, maybe we can see something similar with M1 going forward with these really powerful chips. But right now, we're still at the infancy of what it means to have a pro-level M1 machine. And we probably won't see the reality of what that could be for a while. So maybe there shouldn't be a rush to run out and, and get these machines to replace your current one, um, especially if your workflow 
isn't adapted to M1 yet and Apple Silicon yet. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. I think we were both really excited before M1 debuted of like what the future of Apple is going to look like. And to be honest, as much as I'm not a fan of Apple's marketing and I'm not a fan of the, you know, the, the prices of these machines or the all in kind of uh, nature of you can't really upgrade anything after buying, I am really optimistic for what these machines are going to be capable of in the future. And, you know, I think it's, it's going to be a little bit of that give and take of, yeah, these are going to be great. Yeah, there's going to be downsides, but it's only, we can only judge them from what they're capable of doing right now. And what they're capable of doing right now has not capitalized on the actual, uh, you know, the, the capabilities that they should be able to be, or hopefully will be able to, to take care of in the future. But uh, I'm curious. We've seen the M1 machines, we've seen M1 Pro, we've seen M1 Max, we've seen base level M1. How do you feel about this lineup as it exists right now? Do you think it makes sense for Apple? Do you think maybe there should be something um, in between? And how do you feel about the fact that if you want normal ports, you do have to get these really expensive machines, despite the fact that an SD card and HDMI port probably shouldn't be considered pro level ports? So it's about the ports. It's, you know, for years and years, Apple has kind of, they've taken away ports from people and they said, you don't need this. We're going to make the devices thinner. We're going to make them lighter. We're going to make them more streamlined. So you don't need, you know, multiple USB ports. We're just going to give you two USB ports. You don't need uh, a disk drive, even though no one really needs a disk drive anymore. <laughs> you don't need a Thunderbolt. You don't need HDMI. We're just going to give you two USB-C ports. You don't even need a separate port to charge from. You can just charge from USB-C too. And for years, people have been asking for ports to come back. They finally bring them back. You know, good job, Apple. You took them away and then you gave them back to us. But I don't think that these are pro-level ports. Like, yes, pros need these, which Apple made it very clear to say in their uh, in their keynote. Pros need ports and they need multiple forms of IO. Well, yeah, so does everybody. <laughs> I think I like their lineup. Do I agree with the pricing? No, of course I don't agree with the pricing. I don't think I don't think it should start at what two thousand dollars to get an HDMI port and an SD card slot on your device. I don't they definitely don't cost that much. But I do like the lineup. Mm-hmm. My only thing that I wish they did with this, and you know, they obviously are probably they have some grand plan for when they're gonna come up with their devices. My only hope would or wish would have been when they came out with these new updated MacBook Pros, they also came out with these same chips in Mac Minis. I think that would have been the ultimate, the ultimate, let's say, user-friendly move for Apple. Because when they came out with the M1 chip originally, it was a MacBook Air, which I, th- I think is a great buy. The MacBook Pro, which I think is you know still a pretty good buy. But they put the same M1 chip in the Mac mini, which I think was the absolute value proposition from Apple to say, okay, we're giving you the newest chip at the time that we have to offer. 
with all of these benefits that we've claimed for the MacBook Air and the MacBook Pro, but now it's in a dedicated desktop solution. So you don't have to worry about, you know, paying that, let's say, the Apple premium for our hardware. Now it's just the silicone that you're paying for. I think that's a great option that they gave people. I think it would have been equally as great, if not even greater, if they said, hey, pros need ports, but also pros don't necessarily need those ports on a laptop. We're going to take these, this M1 Pro chip, this M1 Max chip, and we're going to put it in a Mac Mini or maybe a Mac Mini Plus or Mac Mini Mac. Well, I don't know. Who knows how Apple names stuff? Mac Mini Pro. There you go. I think that would have been amazing. And I think that would have, I think that would have converted a lot of people. If you then make that Mac Mini Pro, let's say $1,000, because they're not obviously not going to charge the same that they would for the regular Mac Mini because these have Pro chips and Max chips. But if you made it $1,000 entry level and you say, we're putting the M1 Pro chip in here, so all of the benefits that you see in these crazy charts we came up with, you're getting this in this Mac Mini with a Pro chip in it. I think those things would sell like crazy. But... Apple has their own plans. Um, you know, who am I to judge Tim Apple? But I like I like the products the way they are now. Do I agree with with all of the pricing? Obviously not, because I'm a consumer. But yeah, the only thing I wish more ports for more devices and more M1 Pro chips in the Mac Mini. But one one more thing to Apple's credit Mm -hmm. you know the magsafe they brought back like thank you i don't know why they got rid of it in the first place it's a braided cable that comes with it it's also they give you a charging brick which great job apple but also it's you know somewhat modular because braided cable is more durable but it's also separate from the charger so now when your apple charging cable breaks which they have notoriously been known to do. You don't have to buy a brand new $60, $70 charger. You can just replace the cable that broke, which I think is, you know, a great move by Apple. Also, they gave black Apple stickers in the package. Mm -hmm. Something that I think hasn't happened for quite some time. So, you know, you know they mean business when they give you black Apple stickers with a MacBook Pro instead of white Apple stickers. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the the big products, I think one of the products that it kind of debuted with was the iMac Pro. And I wouldn't be surprised if instead of, unfortunately, instead of the Mac Mini that you want, they do uh, M1 Pro and M1 Max iMac Pro with a 27-inch Pro Display XDR with ProMotion um, screen that starts at around $5,000, similar to kind of the way the old ones did. Uh, and they, they kind of, they kind of build that as their pro level desktop, which also will come with black Apple stickers. But my question to you is, do you think, you know, the, the MacBook air and the 13 inch MacBook pro with touch bar are still using the old design from when they used Intel chips. Do you think that they will update those machines 
with a new design, still with the regular M1 or maybe an M2, but with updated ports and maybe an updated display with the notch. Yay. Next year. The notch. (laughs) The great notch. Do you think they actually give us a new version of those machines um, so that they don't force uh, consumers to pay a ridiculous amount for normal normal ports? (laughs) So there actually has been a leak already of what the new MacBook Air is going to look like. Um, There's a leak video out. I haven't watched it, but it's a leak video from John Prosser. I think he actually put it out yesterday. Yeah. No, sorry, two days ago. So we're recording this on a Monday. It came out two days ago on October the 23rd, which is uh, Saturday. And pretty much what he's saying is that the new MacBook Airs, if you think of how the um, the iMacs look now, with their bright colors and the white bezels, that's essentially what the new MacBook Airs are going to look like. When he talks about ports, it seems like it's still going to be the same limited number of ports. It's still just, you know, the USB-Cs on the sides, um, one on either side. So you know he's been very reliable in the past mm-hmm. i don't think apple is going to give us more ports i think it's just going to be a well pros need ports so they're on our pro devices and if mm-hmm. you want a pro port then you got to buy a macbook pro 14 or 16 inch apparently they're going to bring magsafe back you know there's going to be a thunderbolt 4 or two thunderbolt 4 ports they have a headphone jack so you know you could get something with a headphone jack but so no i don't think they're going to update the design in that way he is showing a render with a notch on the screen also so there you get your notch too and a headphone jack but yeah i don't see them giving more ports to the non-pros out there now just you know just to speak on the notch because we obviously haven't seen it in person we see pictures of it most of the reviewers have said the notch is fine. You barely notice it. You see it at first, and then it kind of melts away. It's not that big of a deal. Oh, yes, it's not that big of a deal. You're spending $2,000 plus on a laptop. You're probably not going to stare at the notch the whole time. You're going to, there's a lot of things that, that, there's a lot of things to like about the new MacBook Pros. There's a lot of things to like about the screen, you know, 120 hertz, ProMotion, Liquid Retina. You got all the this fancy stuff to throw at you. But mm. at the end of the day, they didn't need to put a notch there. Like we've mentioned, like other people have mentioned, it's not like there's Face ID in the notch. It's just a tiny webcam in this huge notch. If you look at the size of the bezels that they left around the screen, they could have easily fit the webcam there. This was a design choice by them to say, hey, you know what you need on your your $2,000 screen? A notch. <laughs> it's. I think at some point, they're going to back away from this notch, just like at some point they backed, like, or not at some point, at yep. this point they backed away from taking ports away and from the touch bar. I think it is a poor design choice. Nobody ever wants a notch on their screen. 
just because people are willing to say, oh, well, you know, you don't notice it after a while. Yeah, sure. There's a lot of, you can have a rock in your shoe and you stop noticing it after a while, but it doesn't mean that there's supposed to be a rock in your shoe. <laughs> but yeah, I mean. I'm, I'm going to love the reactions of when they do get rid of the notch of all the people who are saying, oh, the notch isn't that bad right now. But when they get rid of it, they're going to be like, and they finally got rid of the notch. Yeah. As if it's the most, uh, kind of the same thing they did with the keyboard when they brought in that terrible keyboard and everyone's like, oh, it's fine. Keyboard's good. And then they get rid of it and everyone's like, oh, they finally got rid of that bad keyboard. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if the same thing happens with the notch. Yeah, I would not be surprised at all. Oh, one more thing. One more thing that I don't think we mentioned in the last podcast they are also selling a cleaning cloth <laughs> this is a special cleaning cloth to be used with apple devices it's called a polishing cloth made with soft non-abrasive material this is a wait sorry let me make sure i'm on the correct I'm, i want to give you guys the canadian price okay this is a 19 dollar american polishing cloth made with soft non-abrasive material the polishing cloth cleans any apple display including nano texture glass safely and effectively uh compatibility they have things to list of what it's compatible with pretty much every apple product i don't know why they needed to list what it was compatible with you got iphone 13 pro all the way down to the iphone 6. you got the iPad mini sixth generation all the way down to the iPad mini first generation. But surprisingly, not the regular iPad. Wow. So it is not compatible with the regular iPad. <laughs> Anyone who is thinking of buying an Apple cloth to clean the screen of their regular iPad, don't do it. Um, and everything from the MacBook Air M1 to the MacBook Pro to the iMac Pro from 2017, the iMac Retina 5K from 2014. It even works with iPads up to the iPad Shuffle fourth generation. So if you have an older iPod Shuffle, don't bother buying this pad, this cleaning cloth. <laughs> it won't work with it. Um, yeah, it's very Apple fashion. And actually, it ships in 10 to 12 weeks. So... This is something that is on back order. If you didn't get one yet, you probably won't get one until the new year. Sorry to say. Um, you should have thought about getting a, a $19 Apple cleaning cloth earlier. Um, I know what I'm getting you for Christmas. Yeah, Christmas 2022. <laughs> Only person that could get this is uh, Santa Claus. Just as a frame of reference. So 10 to 12 weeks for the clean-in cloth. You can get a 14-inch a MacBook Pro in three to four weeks. So you could, you could essentially buy a MacBook Pro three separate times, and all three of them would come before you get the clean-in cloth to clean the screens. So you could buy a MacBook Pro, get the screen dirty. Instead of cleaning it, buy another MacBook Pro get the screen dirty instead of cleaning it by another MacBook pro. And that would all happen before you get the cleaning cloth to clean your original screen. Just in case anyone was curious. I mean, 
this stuff works. Like I remember when they announced the the uh, MagSafe wallet, and you know, we both talked about oh that doesn't look like it's too secure to the phone, but I mean it's a cool wallet, and now they make a cool cleaning cloth or sorry polishing cloth. Polishing cloth. Uh, they, I also don't think they say what material it's made out of specifically. Can't give away trade secrets. You know? It's aerospace grade cloth. <laughs> they <laughs> use it to, to polish the sun. It's what they use on the space station, the International Space Station. Yeah. Uh, I guess uh, take it easy, everyone in the podcast, man. Catch you in the next episode.